Good morning again. Well, I hope this series has blessed your heart as much as it has mine. It's, it's been a blessing. It's been an incredible uh, month to walk through this series titled Save the Date. Um, you know, as we began as a staff praying over, as we were planning for this a couple months ago, uh, we obviously, as you've probably noticed, uh, noticed that there's an attack on marriage in our culture. And so as we got together as a staff, we just prayed that God would use this series to bless marriages that needed to be blessed, either, you know, ones that are maybe on the rocks, just barely holding on, maybe for those families that are getting ready to start a new family, um, that we just hoped that it would touch some, some lives in our church family, and, and it has. Um, for second service especially, I know there's been many of our volunteers that have asked, requested, not to be on uh, ministry this month so they could sit in and witness this series. Um, so we, th- we thank those that are making this a priority in their lives. There's some other volunteers that had to step up because of that to make it happen, but uh, hopefully this has blessed you in some way, no matter what season of your marriage that you're in. Our prayers were that God would use it to help others uh, in need, hearts that need maybe some radical changes in their relationships. Um, For those of you that are dating someone and you're starting to think about maybe starting a family with that person, hopefully it provides you with some biblical advice on what are some warning signs that we need to look out for. Um, For those of you that are married, hopefully it provided you with some wisdom on how to strengthen your marriage, enrich your marriage, to make it uh, stronger in that three-core with Christ. Maybe some of you have to make a radical change because of what you've learned here this month from the Word of God. Um, And maybe you need to, for the first time, invite Christ to be the third cord in that strand of your marriage. Wherever you're at in your relationship with your spouse or with your soon-to-be spouse, it's a process. Uh, I see a lot of wisdom in this room a lot of wisdom that uh, even us as staff look up to and get, seek advice from. Uh, and there's a lot of young people that maybe you're just starting out. And you have to know that it, it's a difficult task. Marriage is not an easy thing. And the only way that we can grow closer with our partner and with Christ is to, is to invite Christ into that relationship. Him, allow him to be the center of everything you do. So this morning, we're going to wrap up this series, and uh, we're going to talk with a really important topic this morning, and that's how God designed the marriage, what he expects out of us as a husband or a wife, how he designed it to be. And to be able to do that, we're going to look at a very important passage of Scripture in Ephesians 5 this morning. We're going to apply Ephesians 5, and we're going to learn this morning into our marriage. But before we do that, I want to pray for you. Lord, we thank you for what you laid on our heart as a staff. We thank you for the word of God that gives us the guidance and instruction that we need to be better husbands, to be better wives, to have a stronger marriage and have a a strand of three cords with you, Christ, that cannot be easily broken. My prayer this morning as I prepare for this message is that Whatever we hear, that we have open ears and hearts to hear it, that we don't easily become offended by the words that you're providing us today, but instead, it ignites a fire inside of us to be a better spouse, to be a better 
husband, to be a better wife, and to have a stronger marriage, Lord. I, I believe strongly with all my heart that you've brought people to this church in listening to this series for a reason and a purpose this morning. And we are here as a church family to help them, either to improve their marriage or to get off on the right foot in marriage. So whatever the needs are on the people here today, I pray that you press that on their hearts and don't let them leave this place without seeking your wisdom, Lord, in your scripture. Whatever happens here this morning, we just glorify your name. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. So we're going to start in Ephesians 5. If you have a Bible with you this morning, uh, open up to Ephesians 5. If you didn't bring your Bible, um, there should be a pew Bible in front of you, or you can download the Bible app. I'm going to be reading from the NIV this morning, so some of the scripture might be a little bit different than what you're reading here. But we're going to start in Ephesians 5, and we're going to start in verse 22. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus, and he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives must submit to their husbands in everything. Those very first two words probably made a lot of people's hair raise up on the back of their neck. Probably this is the point where we go to Facebook jail for a little bit. Because this is not what our culture wants to hear. Wives, submit. But I need you to stay with me here for a little bit this morning because this is not my advice. This is not my uh, 18 years worth of marriage providing you earthly wisdom this morning. This is God's instruction through the Apostle Paul. This is God's standard. This is God's omniscient advice for marriage. And he, he created everything. He created all things. And Paul starts this very first piece of advice for marriage. And this is not just important to the ladies listening right now. This is important to the men as well. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. And he, and he goes on to explain why. Why is this so important that wives submit to their husbands? And that's because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. See, God designed marriage to reflect the image of the church. So if you're a believer this morning, if you're a Christian, that makes a lot more sense to why the world is so combatant to this. Why they stick up a wall. And they don't want to hear this, that women or wives should submit to their husbands or to any male authority. The world can't understand God's model for marriage because they don't understand God's model for the church. If you don't get that Jesus Christ came to save you from your sins so that we have an example, we have a model to lead us to a better life that we should allow him to lead us and guide us in our daily decisions. How could we possibly understand God's model for marriage? As Christians, though, we should be able to get this. We should be able to connect the dots here that we submit to Christ as the leader of our lives to live a Jesus-centered life. As believers, we should be able to connect those dots and, and understand that God created our marriage in the same way that wives should submit to their husbands 
and follow his lead. Allow their husbands to lead them. Ladies, no matter what the world tells you, God created you uniquely. Women were designed with love and compassion and empathy. Women are nurturers. When, when our kids get sick, who do they go to? They're not coming to dad. They're going to mom. God designed you differently. And guess what? God designed you, ladies, with an innate desire to submit to a godly husband. That's the key. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, what that looks like. But a godly husband, not just a male, not just a dad, not just a husband, but a godly leader of the home. The problem with our world today is there's not too many godly men that are willing and able to lead. And so many times the wife is forced into a role that she was not designed to be successful in. I'm thankful for a lot of those ladies. There's a lot of ladies at this church that are amazing women that are taking up a dual role and bringing their kids to church and teaching them about Christ and sending them to other godly men that can be that example. My mom was one of them. Wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for my mom and her leadership, but that's not how God intended it to be. And what I'm talking about here this morning is not an authoritarian, dictatorship style of leadership. That's not what we're talking about. Not at all. There has to be communication in your relationship with your spouse, in, in the marriage. There needs to be discussion in a marriage about important decisions that are going to affect your financial life, your spiritual life, where you live, where your kids go to school, what jobs you take. There needs to be prayer between the husband and the wife, between the couple and God, and then more discussion and more prayer, a three-quarter strand. And this could go on for days or weeks or months, but if Jesus is the third strand in your cord and you're using him to guide your decisions, then when it's time to man up and make that decision, husbands, it's not going to be that hard of a choice. The husband will know that it's really God making the decision. And the wife will know that her husband really only desires to follow Jesus and follow the will for God in their lives. And so this, fall, this decision to submit to the husband is not really that controversial or challenging. It's really just a wife and a husband submitting to God. I think the real reason why our culture and our world finds this so controversial is not that they find it controversial for a woman to submit to a man or a wife to submit to a husband. It's that they find it controversial for anyone to submit to the will of God. I've been married to my wife for 18 years. I don't know how I've made it this far. I don't know how she made it this far. But I've learned a few things along the way. I'm, I'm a slow learner, but I do pick up on certain things. And I learned on very early in my marriage that my wife wanted to be led by a godly husband. See, it wasn't just important that I led her. It was important how I led her. She's kind of a micromanager in that way. She's got some problems. We need to pray for her. But if there's any decisions to be made... 
I wasn't making them on my own because I, I started to realize really early on, if we were starting to think about maybe purchasing a new car because ours was run, getting run down, nickel and diamond us, if you know we were thinking about uh, career changes or at one point we relocated from Harrisburg to here, there was uh, a point recently where I was leaving a career that I was very comfortable in and going into ministry full time. And all of these decisions, I know that if I go to my wife, the first thing she's going to ask me is, did you pray about it? Every time. So I learned pretty early on that I better pray about it before I start discussing it. And that's what I did. I first discussed it with God, asked him for some advice, and then I prayed. I got down on my knees and I felt pretty good about it. So then I go talk to my wife. We would discuss it. We would pray about it. We would pray about it individually. We'd come back together. We'd pray a little bit more. And depending on the circumstance, depending on the situation, this could last for a very long time. But we knew that at the end of the day, even though the decision was bound to be made as the leader of the home, it was really God that we were allowing to lead our home. And so my wife submitted to me, but I was just submitting to God, and we knew that we were following God's will. I could probably go on for for the rest of the sermon about important decisions in life that have been made this way. that we, we didn't get this right at the very beginning, but over 18 years, we learned, learned how to do it properly. Probably one of the most important decisions in our life was about 12 years ago, 13 years ago. Uh, we had been trying to have a family, to start a family, expand our family, and through that, we experienced two miscarriages. And anybody that's been through that, they'll tell you it's just devastating. It's heartbreaking because you feel like, we felt like God was putting it on our hearts that we wanted to have children. We wanted to be parents. And yet, even though we had that desire, we felt like we'd be good parents, uh, we experienced this heartache twice. And so we got to a point in our relationship where we're like, what do we do, God? Do do we keep trying? I don't want to experience this again, but I want to follow your will. Should we think about adopting? Should we just give up? And just our children will be the children of the church, and we'll just put all of our energy into that? So we prayed. Prayed individually. We came together. We discussed. We prayed. When this went on, probably for a, a little over a year, before we finally felt comfortable that God was pushing us to continue. And as many of you know, we have two beautiful, healthy daughters now. We didn't experience any more heartache. But going through it, we were asking questions like, why, God, would you allow this to happen? Why are we experiencing this? And now, after 12 years removed from that, we didn't experience any more pain, but that didn't make that painful season any easier. We still remember that pain and what it felt like. And God has allowed us to use that painful experience to help others and glorify him. We've talked to count, countless couples that have been in the midst of that storm and we've helped them get through it. We've had good conversation with them and we've shared God's goodness and his love and his mercy. And we don't forget the pain of that season. We shouldn't forget the pain of that season. We look forward to one day going to heaven and meeting our two kids for the first time. But we view parenthood through a different set of eyes that can help others that are going through it or have been through it themselves and they're, and they're still hurting and they're trying to heal. 
We feel so blessed now that we have two healthy daughters and we didn't have to go through that anymore. God was faithful. God was good. He was full of mercy and he used it to glorify him. Wives should submit to their husbands. And if you really aspire to be an amazing wife, I should probably talk to my wife because I don't know how she's done it for 18 years. But if you really aspire to be an amazing wife, I would encourage you to put Proverbs 31 somewhere in your daily reading, in your weekly devotions. I included it on your notes page this morning. I, I included it so you can reference it when you get home today. It's an amazing passage of scripture that eloquently describes a noble wife and what that looks like. It says that uh, she is full of confidence and lacks nothing of value. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also calls her blessed and praises her. And that's probably something you hear quite frankly from the pastors here at this church is praising our wives. And there's a reason for that. We're very blessed. Praise your wives, men. Wives, seek scripture for growth in your role as a wife. And God can provide you with love and patience and kindness that I, I don't completely understand, but I'm so thankful for it. He'll provide you with that skill set that you need to help your husband be a good leader for your home. It's our responsibility to be leaders, though, man. So a lot of the sermon is going to be directed at you guys this morning. We need to learn how to be good leaders of our family, of our marriages. So let's keep reading in Ephesians 5, picking up in verse 25. Paul starts out and he says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Husbands, how do we lead our wives? Lead with love. This is not the typical standard for leadership that we think of or what it means to be a good leader. But we lead our marriages with love. And Paul goes on to explain how we do this in verse 25. He says, we lead with love. It's the first word of advice that Paul provides us, that God provides us. It's the first and most important thing about our leadership skills in relation to our wives. We lead with love. Well, how do we love her? This is really important. Just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her to make her holy, to cleanse her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, holy and blameless. That's a pretty high standard to live up to, men. So I pray that you hear the words of God this morning. There's ways that we are supposed to love our wives, and a lot of us at times fail. I'll be the first to admit. The first thing that Paul states out here is that we need to love her sacrificially. Jesus gave his life 
for the church. He gave it up freely. Now, I would imagine if I took a poll in here this morning of the husbands that are in this room, and I said, would you give up your own life? If someone was holding you and your wife at gunpoint, and he made that decision and said, pick one, you or your wife, I would think that most of us would stick our hands up and say, yes, I would take that bullet for my wife. I love her that much. The problem is that's a really hard one to really try out because most likely you're not going to be in the same shoes of Christ that has to sacrifice your own physical life. So here's what I'm going to challenge you with this morning, men. Are you willing to make the day-to-day sacrifices for her? Would you let go of some of your dreams so she can achieve hers? Would you love her enough to be kind and gentle with her, even if she's not being kind and gentle with you? Would you be willing to offer her grace, patience, kindness in all situations, even if she doesn't deserve it? In health and sickness, in in, uh, loyalty and betrayal, in weakness and in strength. Man, it's time to take a moment to just be reflective. Be honest with ourselves this morning. Are you living up to God's standard to love your wife sacrificially? I'm putting putting a little bit of pressure on the men this morning because I feel like, and maybe you agree with me this morning, I feel like the reason why we're in this situation in our country and our culture is because that men are not being godly men. This is our responsibility to hold our marriages together. Because God says we are to lead our wives, to love our wives. Where are we leading them to? I was here at the church last night. I was preparing for this morning's message, and there was a leader of our church who is a godly man that I look up to, and I look at this example of marriage and how long it's lasted. It's probably been over 50 years, and I look at the strength, and he was describing his wife and some of the physical ailments she was going through. And I could tell just from the tone of his voice that he loves her sacrificially. He would take all of that pain away from her. It's breaking his heart to watch his wife not be able to walk around, to get around like she needs to be, to be full pain. And he can't do nothing about it. He's taking her to doctors. He's trying to get her the help she needs. But he loves her sacrificially. I can see it in his eyes. That's how we're called to love our wives. Are we living out the standard of Christ to love our wives sacrificially? The same sacrifice that Jesus demonstrated to the church when he gave his life for our souls. That's the level of standard that we need to live up to. It's a pretty high example to live up to, but if we are to love our wives like he loved the church, then we have to put them above our own needs. Are we willing to love our wives sacrificially? Are we willing to love our wives even when it costs us something? Maybe not your life, but maybe something that's really even more important to you than your own life. Are you willing to give up your time, your, your money, your fishing trip with your buddies that you've been planning all year? Maybe that motorcycle you've been saving up for for five years so she can take her dream vacation. 
Are you willing to make a sacrifice in some way for your wife on the day-to-day things that really matter? This passage in Ephesians also places the responsibility of her sanctification on our shoulders. So we have to love her with sanctifying love. Now, sanctification is a word that means literally to wash clean and set apart for something special. Jesus died on the cross so he could set us apart, so we could be healed from our sins, and we could be set apart as a church for God. You need to understand, men, that your wife doesn't exist for your pleasure, your joy, or your comforts. She exists first for God. She's been set apart to you, but only so you can help her be ever more set apart for God. I don't know how you feel about your wives this morning, man, but I truly believe this. When I, when I think about Genesis 2, I envision when God pulled, literally it describes to us that he opened up Adam's chest, he pulled a rib out, and he created Eve, and that's how I feel about my wife. Like, I feel like God had me in mind when he created my wife, Andrea. Because she makes me just such a better person. That it has to be a God thing that she was put into my life. She makes me a better husband, a better Christian, a better father. She knows where the boundary lines are and she pushes me back in when I'm stepping out. She's not afraid to call me out when I'm not being a good leader of my home. I remember... My wedding day. Probably most of the men in this room remember that day when they were at a church or maybe outside in the outdoors. And the church doors opened up. I remember this. And my wife is gorgeous. Okay, She's definitely the most beautiful bride I've ever seen in the world. And I know a lot of guys will tell you that, but they're all lying because this is I saw it. Like It's the most beautiful thing I ever saw. And she's coming down here to meet me, and uh, for a moment I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, this is, uh, there's got to be some hidden cameras here somewhere, and this has got to be a joke, because I don't deserve this. And I was frozen. I remember how beautiful she looked coming down, and her dad is presenting her to me, beautiful, radiant, perfect, pure, I want you to think about that image in your head. And if you're not married yet, one day you get to look forward to that, man. Because you never forget that image of the first day you saw your wife on her wedding day, on your wedding day. That's the same image that we're going to have when we present our wives to Christ. That same image of her father bringing her down the aisle and presenting her to me, giving her over to me, is the same image I'm going to hold her in hand and I'm going to take her to Christ. And it's my responsibility. It became my responsibility 18 years ago to make sure that she stays pure and that she becomes more and more like Christ each day. That's my responsibility. Your wife doesn't exist to make you better. She exists to bring glory to God by living a Jesus-centered life. Are you helping her achieve that? Are you committed to helping her understand her gifts and help her to use them for the church? God designed her, created her with special 
purpose and plan that she could be used as the hands and feet of the church? Are you helping her accomplish that? Are you leading her with sanctifying love? One day we're going to have that opportunity. I can't wait to be able to present my wife to Christ. That's our job. That's, that's something, men, that we can't take lightly. We have to lead our wives with love. We have to lead them with sacrificial love and sanctifying love. And we also have to lead them and love them as we love ourselves. Let's continue in Ephesians 5, pick it up in verse 28. It says, In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of this body. The root, my experience has been the root of most marital problems is sin. And the root of most sin is selfishness. We're not called to be selfish husbands, men. We're not called to be selfish Christians. We're called to love our wives more than we love ourselves. In fact, as we continue this passage in Verse 31, it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. When you get married, this should not be taken lightly. You become one flesh. And you love your wife more than you love yourself. There's no thinking you and I. Do you understand the significance of that? There's no longer you and your needs and me and my needs. Because what hurts you is going to hurt me. And what hurts me is going to hurt you. Because you're one flesh with Christ. It's an approach to marriage that I'm going to lead you out of love. I'm not going to tell you like a dictator or an authority, and this is what you have to do, or else. I'm going to lead you with love, and I'm going I'm to make this decision because I think it's best for you. And I, as a wife, I'm going to submit to my husband, and I'm not going to have the attitude, well, he's just trying to boss me around. No, I know that I've married a godly man, and he is following the will of Christ, and therefore I have no trouble submitting. Can I tell you that if you're not married yet, and you don't really understand this yet, I haven't found anything that's more satisfying in the Christian life than when you and your spouse continue to grow as one flesh, and, and you model Christ as best you can in everything you do. You're not going to get it right all the time. You're never going to accomplish that. But when you look back, when 18 years of marriage, and you look back and you see, I'm not that same guy I was when we got married. I had no idea what I was getting into. Thank you, God. And your wife looks back on who she was 18 years ago, and she's not that same woman. 
And you can see some of the obstacles and the hurdles you had to overcome. And by the grace of God, you're so much better off than you were when you started. I still got a long way to go. I still got a lot of things to learn. But man, is it satisfying to look back and see what you've overcome. Why were we able to do that? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit and a lot of patience from my wife. That's, that's grace of God. It's an incredible thing when you look back. Man, I'm going to give you some homework this morning, too. I, I gave the ladies a passage of Scripture to look at. I, man, I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 7, verses 2 to 7. Now, this is on your notes page as well, so you can reference it this week. This is characteristics that, that are described, uh, describing a church leader, a pastor, an elder of a church. But I would encourage the men of this church that these are also the qualities they need to have to lead their home well. This passage of scripture includes words like respectable, self-controlled, hospitable, teacher. Yes, it's our job to teach and to teach our children. This is what Scripture tells us is a godly leader of the church, and it should be a godly leader of our homes as well. God designed a wife to submit to her husband. God designed the husband to lead with love, just like Christ loved the church. And to do this successfully, Paul reminds us in this small letter to the church of Ephesus that a, that a man is going to leave his mother and father and the two will become one flesh. This is not a decision that should be taken lightly. This is one family that's being created. It's not an extension of your current family. Paul, obviously, in this passage, he's, he's uh, quoting Genesis 2, 24. But this is so important from the very beginning, from Genesis on to Ephesians here now, we're talking about the formation of the family. One godly man, one godly woman that allows Christ to be the third strand in the court of marriage. There's a lot that comes with marriage. There's no more security blanket, no more decisions made by mom or dad. No, you got to make these decisions, men. You can seek men in this room. You can seek men in your family for counsel, but it is on your shoulders to make the decisions for your family. Your wife is looking to you for leadership, to be a godly man, to be a godly husband, and a godly leader for this new family that God created. God designed a wife to submit. God designed a husband to lead through love and that Christ be the center of that home. This is the design of marriage. And that's why so many are not surviving in this country. In fact, you go around homes in the United States, and many of them will have scripture ver verse from Joshua 24, 15, right at the entryway, going into the home. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, right? Many homes have that, yet many homes are not following that advice from Scripture. It's just a saying on a wall. What if we made a decision today as a church family, maybe people in our community, maybe people watching online, that right now, starting now, we're going to follow that passage. 
Wives are going to allow their husbands to lead their home. Men, husbands are going to take that responsibility to heart and they're going to lead their families well. They're going to do that faithfully because they're following the will of God. They're using prayer as their guideline. Christ is the center of all the decisions made in the home. I can guarantee you that our world would be a much better place to live in. This is not an easy commitment. This is a challenging message this morning. But it's God's design of marriage. It's right here in Scripture. There's no gray area. It's black or white. Black and white. I have no idea how my wife has put up with me for 18 years. Other than a lot of patience and the grace of God. I didn't always lead when I should have or how I should have. I didn't always love her like I should have. I didn't always demonstrate grace and forgiveness like Christ has offered me. But I will say this, where I fell short, my wife picked me up. Where she fell short, I picked her up. And for 18 years, we've worked really hard to become that description of a spouse that God designed for the other one. 18 years is a, is a long time. That's something to celebrate. There's people in this room that have been married for 20, 30, 50 years. How do you do that? If you're young and you're thinking about getting married, you're dating someone, marriage is maybe 5, 10 years down the road for you, there is so much wisdom in our church that you can tap into. I'm thankful for that wisdom. It's definitely helped me and my wife over the years, getting into a grace group, learning from others when we've struggled on certain things, we've fallen short. How do we have a successful, long-lasting, healthy, happy marriage? All the things that we've talked about over these past five weeks come down to one thing, and I skipped over it intentionally this morning because I wanted to end our series with this. It's at the very beginning of Ephesians 5, verse 1. Paul says, be imitators of God. Years ago, early in our marriage, I highlighted that, I underlined it, I put asterisks beside it. Be imitators of God. God designed marriage. This is one of the shortest, yet probably one of the most profound the most challenging verses in all of Scripture is be imitators of God. God created man and woman, and he bonded them together in this thing called marriage. And when we kept screwing it up, messing it up, failing over and over, the Israelites, how many times did they mess it up and they disobeyed God? And so God sent his own son down from heaven and gave up his life so that we would have hope. And that we would have someone to imitate. This is how you should live. Jesus was tempted by all the things that you may be tempted in, in a marriage. He faced all the persecution. All the words that you've heard. All the physical battering. He put it all on his shoulders so you could be free of your sins. God gave us 
the perfect gift. So when God is the one that created marriage, what if we just asked ourselves, what, what would Jesus do in this situation in our marriage? We're starting to think about having a disagreement. I can feel the blood pressure rising. What would Jesus say to her? What would Jesus say to him? What kind of level of grace would Jesus offer my spouse? How would he lead her? How would he submit to her? What level of grace would Jesus offer my spouse? Let's be an imitator of God. God created your wife and uh, and gave you the gift of her so that one day you could present her to him. Radiant, beautiful, and blameless. How would God love her? And maybe that's hard for you to understand this morning. Maybe you've never experienced love like that. Sacrificial love, sanctifying love. You never felt love that puts themselves, uh, puts you above themselves. You've never experienced that love. Today, for the first time, you can experience that. What if today was the day that you've been hearing all these messages all month about marriage and commitment and uh, things that we've learned. Pastor Mark shared a lot of wisdom from 25 years of marriage last week, and you're hearing these things, and you don't quite get it because you've never experienced the love of Christ in your life. You've heard about it, but you've never allowed Jesus to come into your heart and free you of that burden of sin. Well, you could do that right now. Our staff would love to hear that this series so impacted your heart that you couldn't help yourself, you couldn't contain yourself, but you gave your life to Jesus right here this morning. If that's you, I I would love to speak with you this morning after the series concludes, after this message concludes this morning. We're going to have a time of a a short song and a final thought and prayer. I would love at the conclusion if you came up here and shared that with me so I could pray with you, so I could give you a hug and welcome you home. Maybe that's not you, though. Maybe you know the love of Christ. Maybe you've experienced that. And maybe you're young and, and you're trying to figure out You know, you've been praying, God, just bring somebody in my life that lives up to this standard that you placed in Scripture. I want a godly husband. I want a godly wife. I want to be able to share this with Christ. And it seems like as much as you pray, things just don't work out. This is a difficult world to find yourself in as a young person, to find someone that meets a standard. Let me tell you this morning, God hears your prayers. I would love to pray with you this morning. God hears your prayers. They hear your desires. I've been through it. Before I met my wife, I've been through it when we went through this season of heartache. We didn't think we'd have children. God hears your prayers. Continue to pray. Continue to ask people to come alongside you and pray. Maybe this morning you're in a marriage and it needs healed. It's barely hanging on by a thread. And maybe you need to invite Jesus in to be that third strand. And you, and you need maybe even some counseling here at the church. I don't know what God has in store for your marriage, but I know that God can heal all broken things. God can do the impossible where it seems like in the eyes of man, it's impossible. I've experienced it in my own life. I've seen it through families that I care about. Don't give up. If your desire is to keep your marriage 
whole and healed, keep praying. Keep bringing someone alongside you to pray with you and ask God for help. Whatever your prayers are, whatever's on your heart this morning, God hears those things. And he wants to remove that burden from your heart this morning.